Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm Michael. And I'm Shane. Welcome to episode 69, Wrestle War 1992. Destroy! Or be destroyed. I don't want to be destroyed. I mean, no, you're not wrestling, so you're fine. Okay. <laughs> Enjoy! <laughs> yeah, there you go. Enjoy. I'm and I guess that's what we're here to find out, is whether or not we enjoy this. I'm going to give you the heads up. I enjoy this. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah. I mean... WCW, are they three for three for the first time in a while? Or is this a two for two? I mean, two? We, we, counted, we counted the Super Show as a New Japan show. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. But, I'm not counting that. But they have done now, if we count this one, that's two in a row. Yes. Yeah, they always do two. It's, it's, it's two, two on, two off. Yeah, yeah. Typically, it's two <laughs> so, on, two so, off. So we're but I was curious if there was a, th- a third. I don't... Well, it was Starcade, and then it was the New Japan Super Show, and then it was Super Brawl. Oh, uh, and Starcade. Starcade was horrible. <laughs> Yeah, fuck. I was hoping I'm one. I want. And the next yeah. two weeks is two more WCW shows. So, really? I mean, if they're both bad, then your theory might be yeah, right. And then, I, then I quit. <laughs> no, no, I won't quit. We've watched enough bad wrestling, and we're only going to watch more. But here, hopefully, that's not the case. I mean, we're 69 episodes in. Uh-huh. Nice. <laughs> and uh, I roll. You're, you're just now. Complaining that <laughs> there's two episodes in a row bad that you're gonna quit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, we've seen. We did like, watch Bone uh, Cow Stampede. The first, yeah, the first maybe like ten episodes of this show, we are trying to figure out what the finish was. Like, wait, what happened? That's very true. That's like it was us trying to figure out what happened, and we were. I was watching much more intensely because <laughs> the quality was bad. I didn't know who any of the people were. We were getting out of the seventies. You remember. Rufus R. Jones. Yeah, I think I liked him. You did like him. Was he one of the wild guys? I like the shaky guys. He, like was, the your, knee, uh, he was the knee shaker guy. Yeah, uh-huh. uh huh. And like the Valiants. I like the Valiants with their shaky hair. I mean, they were way over probably in Memphis, Jimmy I'd imagine, but I don't know. Jimmy and Johnny, or mm-hmm. what were their name? Okay. Probably. I'm trying to remember. They're definitely not related. <laughs> but this would be the fourth and final. Wrestle War, Aww. produced by the WCW. Oh, I'm sure that that cage is sticking around, Shane. It would take place on May 17, 1992, from the Jacksonville Memorial Coliseum in Jacksonville, Florida, with the attendance of 6,000 people. Which is a far cry from yeah. our last show, but, you know, attendance-wise. But this building looks really good, and it is packed, and the crowd is good. I agree. Just going to put that up top. I'm going to put over the arena. And the crowd, because I think they deserve it. Oh yeah, they definitely do. But I'm it's gonna just put a, over a shocker going from sixty-two thousand. Yeah, to I mean, 6, I'd rather 000. go to a show with six thousand people than sixty-two thousand, because like, holy shit, the parking. See, I can't say that because I've never been to a show with sixty-two thousand people, so I just don't I have know. not either. Yeah, I'm sure Matt's <laughs> been to enough football games that he he knows that he we'd be nicer if there were six thousand people there. I mean, it was about fifty thousand or so. At football games that I go Plus, to. Plus, imagine the ticket prices of Wrestle War '92 compared to WrestleMania '8. Definitely this is different. probably like front row is probably like forty dollars in ninety two money, which is probably like one hundred fifty now. Yeah. Exactly. And you get like a commemorative. Yeah, or and like even like it. yeah, like even it's only six thousand people. That means that 
every seat's a good seat. So you get seven fifty for the Plus top traffic. row. One dollar buds, we're Plus good. Traffic isn't yeah. as bad. Yeah. Yeah. Give get me an eight dollar Tom Zink T shirt. Call it a fucking successful weekend. So to uh, somewhat segue into my little dealie that I did last time. No, it's the uh, we need a name for it. Putting food over. Stare at the scale. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We haven't talked about this. Uh, yeah. We'll come up with something. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's something that... If you have I... any suggestions out there, email <laughs> exactly. us or tell us on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Twitter. Wrestling Histo uh, X. But what, what I'm going for here is, you know, last time at uh, Mania, I decided that I'm going to bring a, a food or beverage that ties into the location of the show that we're watching. So and we're in Florida. Yeah, this week we're in Florida, Jacksonville. Jacksonville Jaguars rule. So we got uh, allig- alligator. <laughs> uh, we're we're gonna go beverage Cuban, this time Cuban around. Sandwich? Maybe for a dated yeah, maybe I... for a dated reference. Uh, human face. There you go. Human face. <laughs> yeah, I I really wanted to to find a Cuban or make a Cuban, but I didn't have enough time to make a Cuban sandwich. And with us being in Oklahoma, it's hard to find a good Cuban sandwich in Oklahoma City. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to repeat that. Oklahoma City, you need to get me a goddamn hey, Cuban sandwich already. There is, or there was. I don't know Something if it's... Something other than Louis. In in in, co- in these COVID times, I don't know that food trucks are really a thing, but there is a food truck up the street from here that had a pretty decent Cuban. I'm wondering if this is the food truck, because the, the reason I often crave a Cuban sandwich in Oklahoma City is because my first or second week after being here... I drunkenly stumbled across a food truck and had one of the greatest Cuban sandwiches I've ever had. And it's kind of like on, I don't know if you watched How I Met Your Mother, but there's an episode (laughs) where Marshall is searching for this best burger that he had years and years ago. And that's my goal now is to find It's your white whale. Yes. I, I want to find something as good or similar to this Cuban sandwich I had one drunken rainy night at a food truck. What you need to do is make sure it's raining get really drunk (laughs) (laughs) i have tried to recreate this and it just has not fallen into place yet yeah but since i couldn't find a cuban sandwich and i wanted to bring a sandwich uh, i decided instead to go for a beverage so looking it up i I found out the official state drink of florida is orange juice and you know oj first you squeezed remember the uh we're watching some uh some wrestling we're uh you know, what, what goes better with wrestling and orange juice than, you know, a nice little bit of the bubbly? A little bit of the bubbly! It's a good pop. The, uh, but remember when they, what was the Sunny Delight? Remember Sunny Delight? I love Sunny They always had, Sunny. it was a Florida style and California style. So, I mean, I know we're not in California, but is there, is, I, is orange honestly, juice also the official drink of California? Yes. I did is not it? look up the official state drink. Shouldn't it be like, like just red wine? So like wine? Like, the official state drink, there's like 26 of them, and like half, of, half of them were milk, and yeah. the other half are basically orange juice. Yeah, I contemplated bringing the official state drink of Indiana to the WrestleMania show last week, but unfortunately, the official state drink of Indiana is water, so, you know, uh, we, we had that readily available, we got I that had to tap. bring something. <laughs> Don't worry, I was drinking that. Uh... <laughs> little toast to uh, Russell Ward. little toast, yes. Mm-hmm. Let's enjoy the show. A little bit of the bubbly. Well, as we're all enjoying those mimosas, a few things that were happening around the time of Russell Ward. Alien 3, Encino Man, 
and far and away were all released the next weekend. Alien 3, the uh, directorial debut of David Fincher, which he hates that movie for good reason. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Alien franchise, and there's like a million scripts for Alien 3. Like One of the best parts about the Alien 3 like DVD is like a documentary where they're just talking about all the wild scripts they had. Even, yeah. One of them was even written by William Gibson, who's like a famous uh, sci-fi writer and the mm-hmm. guy who basically created the whole idea of like Which cyberpunk. Which actually released as a comic book oh, really? in the last six months or so. Really? That's cool. But Alien 3, not a great movie, uh, but kind of awesome. <sighs> I, As somebody who saw all three of these movies at the time that they were released, Alien 3 I had high hopes for because... I mean, why would alien? Yeah, because aliens, aliens are it's like amazing. oh, incredible. Yeah, like one of the best horror movies and also one of the best sci-fi movies, and then one of the best action movies. Yep. action and slash sci-fi movies. It's like all right, well, what, what could have been Ridley Scott and then James not. Cameron? Yeah, yeah, it's a bummer. You got Encino Man, one of one of the the all-time great Pauly Shore movies. You know, you know why Encino great. Man is the best Pauly Shore movie? It's not because Pauly Shore is not the main character. Yeah, very true. What's the best? Paulie Shore movie. Yeah, it's Biodome, bro. Biodome doesn't hold up That's a as tough well, one. but it's good. You, I mean, you've got I, and this is coming from a fan of. I'm a big fan of Son of the Law. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in Nebraska, so you know, and he's riding on a tractor saying, "I'm cutting some corn." As long as you're not out here pulls right taping my, for jury duty, we'll be okay. Yeah, Encino Man loved it. Uh, I still refer to it frequently with you know me group and don't wheeze the juice and. And how I, I cute just, is Sean Austin in that movie? Right. <laughs> and then Brandon Fraser, of course, looking looking real good, uh, pre cowboy hat. Oh yeah, far and away. I mean, it was it was Titanic before Titanic, but it I've, had to do with the uh, the Great Land Rush. Of okay, I don't know Far and Away at all. Tom Cruise, Tom Nicole Kidman, Nicole Kidman's where oh, they actually met and oh, fell in love. Okay, so this is like, I guess Outsiders is probably like late eighties. Actually, 80s. they met on Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder's after. That's is, right. This was their their first project together after they became a couple, and yeah, if you haven't seen it, it's it's a, a great movie, good drama. It I has mean, a little bit of, you know, romance and adventure and action and and everything. So, love I it. I mean, Tom Cruise kind of rules, oh, and yeah, I don't even is... like a lot. I don't even like a lot of uh, these movies. I hate Top Gun, and uh, what Tom Cruise still rules. I don't have time for a two hour Pepsi commercial. <sighs> you you obviously had no. I also am a little bit younger than you guys. I'm actually kind of up. hoping for two bad shows in a row. He's going to quit after these comments. I, I, I'm not here uh, for Top Gun. I'm going to do a shout out to, to my boy Memo right now. You're, you're on deck, buddy. Oh, man. <laughs> if you're listening, episodes, that is. I'm getting cut out. <laughs> nice. Let's talk about a little Wrestle War. We get narration over a video talking about war games. And we get WCW Presents. Wrestle War. Tony Schiavone then welcomes us to the show, and Eric Bischoff is with him on the stage where they preview some of the matches. They throw it to ringside, and we get Jim Ross and Jesse the Body Ventura. Jesse said he was he went to war in '69. He went to war against predators too. Yeah, that was '87. I was kind of surprised. I I don't know why. I was thinking Jesse was just a one-off thing on the uh, Super Brawl. So yeah, I kind of I wasn't sure. I was I was kind of happy. Agreed. I was Jesse like Tony. I like you, Tony. Jr. I'm not a football guy, but you are, and I don't hold it against you. But Jr. and Tony is like a toast sandwich, and like <laughs> yeah. And so we, we kind of need a Jesse here. 
Jesse has brought a different vibe. Yeah. To the show. And there's, it's very fun to, for JR to like not put over some of his jokes. <laughs> but we head off right to our first match. The Freebirds of Jimmy Jam Garvin and Michael P.S. Hayes versus the TaylorMade Man and Greg the Hammer Valentine for the WCW United States Tag Team Championship. What a what a weird team of uh, old old Terry Taylor and Greg Valentine. But Greg Valentine is just a weird guy to fit anywhere. But you know they 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 had their I guess their their short little stint together during Taylor's Red Rooster days up in the uh, up north up yeah. north yes. Uh, I gotta say the red leather jackets that the Freebirds won or oh, won yeah. wore. I, I want one. Yeah, they look awesome. The Freebirds always look awesome, and now they're like it's like. They spent. They spent some money. They ditched the face paint. That's a good. Good look. So the last time we saw these belts defended was at Super Brawl One, episode fifty-six, when the Freebirds had won them, but the titles had changed hands four times since, as Taylor and Valentine had won them on a main event taping from Big Josh and Ron Simmons. Big Josh. <laughs> Big Josh, yeah. Big Josh and Ron Simmons, like we should have just went for it. Yeah, that. that's <laughs> the. Uh, I mean, Ron Simmons could have worse tag team partners, foreshadowing. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but I mean, Big Josh is coming into his own, but it's it's a small, it's still, it's just not. Yeah, it's just Big Josh. Yeah, it's still. And I'll put over Big the log roll. So Hayes does some dancing for the crowd. P.S. sends Taylor to the ropes only for him and Valentine to blind tag and then knock heads. So Hayes makes the quick roll up on the hammer for a two count. P.S. reverses a hip toss by Valentine into one of his own. Hammer tries again only to be blocked, but he clotheslines Hayes this time. P.S. with the atomic drop and multiple clotheslines on Valentine. Garvin comes in to be Irish whipped into the corner and Hammer charges in. But Jimmy Jam moves so Greg hits shoulder first. On the ring post. Posted. <laughs> Garvin begins to work on the arm, only to be tossed to the ropes, and Valentine goes for a back body drop. But Jimmy Jam floats over, goes for an Okada roll, only for the hammer to hold onto the ropes. Go for an elbow drop, which Garvin moves out of the way, and then goes back to work on the arm. I've got to say this. I've, I was noticing just at the beginning of the match, Greg Valentine... Looks like he belongs in WCW. That's, yes, he's always looked like he belongs yeah. in yeah, WCW. Yeah. Seeing him all those years in in WWF, I yeah. mean, I liked him, and you know, he I mean, served he was... a purpose, but he just didn't have the look for no. WWF. And I mean, his first match that I'm seeing him in in WCW on a pay per view is it looks like he. Are you are you saying everybody in WCW is ugly? I'm not saying that. Like I'm not even saying that you. he's ugly. There's just something about. Him on their cameras, it looks it looks like <laughs> yeah he should have I know been there all along. Like I like Greg Valentine, but Greg Valentine is just like the like most middle of mid card man. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it I hate to say it, height is an issue, but the face is another. Valentine with a snapmare, Taylor in for an elbow drop, but Hayes moves, and the Freebirds with quick tags and double teams. Garvin with a crossbody and arm drag. P.S. continues the arm work until being tossed out to the ramp by Taylor. Terry follows out only to receive a back body drop back into the ring from Hayes, a back elbow, and an elbow drop. 
Jimmy jams back in to work on the arm, but again Taylor tosses a free bird through the ropes. Valentine takes advantage with a double axe handle and chops. Back in Terry's with a jawbreaker on Garvin, the hammer with an Irish whip, charges into a big boot from Jimmy Jam, who begins to make the crawl to his corner, only for Valentine to knock Hayes off the apron to prevent the tag. Garvin hits a desperation vertical suplex. The hammer is up first, though, and goes for a splash, but Jimmy Jam gets his knees up, again crawling to his corner, but again is just out of reach when Taylor comes in to take over by clotheslining Garvin. I think I know what they're setting up. The dreaded chin lock by the tailor-made mm-hmm. man. But Garvin escapes with an elbow and a shoulder block, crawling to his corner once again for the... Hot tag! PSN with right hands, back body drop to Valentine, double noggin knocker. Jimmy Jam joins in with right hands to Taylor as the hammer reverses an Irish whip on Hayes, ducking his head, allowing Hayes to set up for the DDT. When Terry comes DDT. flying in... So many DDT chants. The whole match is a DDT chant. Terry comes flying in with the five-arm. But it's five called arm. a four-arm. Do you have an extra muscle? It'd be, it'd be okay. Five-arm if he wears like like a gauntlet on his, on his forearm. Right? But he doesn't. No, he does not. He wears a cool smoking jacket to the ring. Greg <laughs> makes the cover for the pin. And no! P.S. kicks out. Valentine with a body slam, backbreaker, headbutt to the gut, goes for a pump splash, but Hayes gets his knees up. Taylor comes in with a gut wrench power bomb for a two count. The hammer starts working on PS's leg and locks on the figure four. But Jimmy Jam jumps in with a kick to Valentine's face to break up the hold. Hands off the merchandise. Don't go after the face. That's the moneymaker, man. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the true Valentine. <laughs> Terry goes for some head slams into turnbuckles, but Hayes keeps blocking and reversing it, and then throws the left jab before making a hot tag. Garvin's in with right hands, back body drop to Taylor, clotheslines on everybody, atomic drop on Terry sending him into Valentine, followed by a schoolboy roll-up, but when kicked out, Jimmy Jam delivers a clothesline to the hammer. Taylor and Valentine then attempt a double clothesline, only for Garvin to hit them with one instead. Terry reverses an Irish whip, sending Jimmy Jam to the ropes, where the hammer trips him up from the floor, allowing Taylor to hit a knee drop, makes the cover, but P.S. makes the save. Please, Hammer, don't hurt him. (laughs) Another 90s reference there. Taylor made man goes for a body slam, but Garvin floats over, looks to attempt a DDT when Valentine charges in. But Jimmy Jam back body drops him, still holding on to Terry, hitting the DDT for the pin and, and the win. And new! And I'm sure that most people that showed up at the show were like, and still? Like. <laughs> and once again? Yeah. And once again. Uh, I was surprised. I had to do a deep dive on old Valentine there. For some reason, watching him, like I said, it he looked so at home and in place on WCW TV that it made me actually look up more info on him. And it blew my mind knowing that watching this match, he's technically two years younger than I am right now, but he looks like he's about 15 <laughs> years older than I am right now. Well, he's got this thing where he's got like a really big head and he's kind of short and stocky, but his face is very small, even though his head's big. It's all right in the middle. Very tiny mouth, and that's coming from a guy with a tiny mouth. Yeah. 
But I guess maybe that's why I've got a big giant head, so. It, so your, it makes your me proportions younger. are fine. You're not Greg <laughs> Valentining over there, I promise. Yeah, this is a really good start of, of a show. My only issue with this match was that we got the hot tag. And then another hot tag. And too then soon. we got another hot tag. Yeah. Like it was like I thought they were going to the finish and then it wasn't, which the finish was fine. I, I enjoyed this match. Yeah, I like there's like like a, I think Jimmy Garvin makes a tag at one point while still having wrist control. I always like that. Jesse, of course, is him and Ross are getting a little better together, but there's a Jesse line, uh, do unto others before they do unto you. Which is just so so stupid and funny. Even Jimmy or Greg Valentine does a flare flop in this match, which was kinda weird. But I mean, you know, he's not there to do anything. And Jesse Ventura does do a thing that I like where he's talking about the money. And in WCW, this is uh, this is where a fight is a fight. And a fight we fight for money. It's uh There's no money in bodybuilding. Yeah. He taught us that last time. Mm-hmm. It's um uh That's why Hammer Valentine was okay in WCW. <laughs> so we're off to our second match. Tracy Smothers versus Johnny B. Bad. Well, <laughs> Who's leading this match? Probably Tracy. <laughs> we see some ladies put some dollar bills in Bad's tights. Johnny B. Bad is so cool. And then he uses his Bad Blaster to spread confetti. <laughs> it's a kind of a weak confetti spray, but I mean, you know, I believe that it's more confetti than we got in the first match. Maybe he was nervous. But yeah, the women putting like money in his, in his like garter. Tides. Garter, yeah, <laughs> it's so good. Poor Mark Marrow. He should have just stayed there. Could have maybe potentially kept his wife. He's he's just. I mean, he was making extra money on the side. <laughs> yeah, that was the guy from WrestleMania Eight that had like eight dollars for Money Inc. He brought it. He brought it over for Johnny Bad. So this match is very back and forth to get started until multiple hip tosses by Johnny send Tracy scurrying to the outside to regroup. An arm drag, cross body, drop kick, another arm drag by Bad. Johnny with an Irish whip but runs into a boot and a drop kick by Smothers. Back rakes, eye rakes across the ropes, a double throat thrust. Tracy then goes to the top and hits a flying back elbow for a two count. Smothers goes up top again, coming off with a twisting crossbody, only for Bad to use the momentum to roll over on top for a near fall. Another drop kick by Tracy, and Bad comes back with a sunset flip attempt, but Smothers stays up and pokes down only for Johnny to finally pull him over for a two count. Johnny be bad. He's he's a, a, a pretty bad man. man. Yeah, he's a pretty man. He's a bad man. And still to this day, there's something about watching him do a sunset flip that is just pleasant. His, well, I mean, when we when he first started showing up here, he does that sunset flip off the top, and there's oh. one where it's like, the man broke his neck. Yeah. How is he alive? But, spoiler. Yeah, there was, there was many it's of gonna his good here in a minute. that... <laughs> Tracy goes for a body slam, but Bad cradles him up for a near fall. Johnny with a flurry of offense, hitting a high knee, a face plant, power slam, and goes to the top, coming off with a flying sunset flip for a two count. Mm -hmm. Smothers tries to fight back with a leg lariat, but Bad ducks and hits the kiss that don't miss for the pin and the win. Was that like a punch? Yes. Yeah, it's a left-handed jab. Yeah. Knock that sucker out and sandwich. put on the sticker. Yeah. The kiss that don't miss is fun, though. And what if that was his theme song? Can you imagine if Jimmy Hart wrote a song called The Kiss That Don't Miss for I'm Johnny Bad? It, it like, might be the best song ever. I'm hearing might be it. the best wrestling song ever, right? I'm hearing, like, Hall like, Notes. Hall, 
Oh no, I'm I'm hearing like you know like little because Richard like my kids, my kids, <laughs> it just <laughs> don't miss. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's good. That's very good. That's very good. <laughs> but uh, that would cost too much for WCW probably. Ah, you you put it to a different melody, uh-huh, change yeah. the words up. There's there's I just no extra to be money more, needed for it. More like hard piano. Oh yeah. But, you know, like the like uh, little Richard. You know, just beats the shit out of the ivories. We then go to the back. Missy Hyatt's there with the free birds and some woman. Did you did you guys know who this woman was? It took me a yeah, second. It's and... Jimmy Garvin's wife. What's her name? It's Precious. It's Precious, aka she's Precious. Squeezy. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's so cute. That's why I had to look it up. I'm like, who the fuck is Squeezy? That's his nickname. They're, like, <laughs> legit married, and I think yeah. that she was probably just in town, and they're like, well, Precious hasn't been on TV in a long time. Spoiler alert. Uh, the last time we saw her was at Great American Bash 1988. Oh. Episode 20. Dang. Yeah. Precious has been doing her own thing. I mean, good for old Jimmy Garvin, because quick poll. Who's better, a better technical wrestler? Of the Freebirds. Jimmy Garvin? Jimmy Garvin's the better wrestler. Yeah, he's obviously the better wrestler. And he honestly isn't that bad of a, like, you know, showman or performer either. It's just that Michael Hayes is a little extra. And he's like, well, we can't both be like that, I guess. I Every time we watch a Freebirds match, I love Jimmy Garvin a, a, bit so, a little bit more. It's never, it's never like, oh, man. It's just, like, it's just constantly, like, yeah. ra- like rising in the ranks. The Garvin explains that a DDT is a win, just a heartbeat away. And then Hayes dedicates the match to Leonard Skinnerd, and then throws their name out there for the world tag team titles. Like, it's being greedy like, a little bit what, there. Is I mean, it, you just won the U.S. titles. Yeah. I mean, when also, they lost Leonard the last time, they went after the U.S. titles, so it's like they just... When did all of Leonard Skinner die in a plane wreck? I mean, they stayed a band forever, and the other like guys sang, but like the lead singer guy but Leonard Skinner also had like five guitar players it was like all of my friends can play guitar let's just all get paid it's like the Eagles except for you know with a drum beat so we're headed off to our third match Marcus Alexander Bagwell versus Scotty Flamingo I heard that name and I got very excited because flamingos are probably my favorite bird because they're pink and weird but the bigger question is did you know who Scotty Flamingo was as soon as I saw that face I knew who it was I was like all right, who is Scotty Flamingo? As soon as he entered that ring and I saw the face, I was like, I didn't know Raven was a cutie at one point. Yep, that's that's really <laughs> shocking. That's like when, yeah. I mean, I, I remember Scotty Flamingo all those years, and then you know, when he changes his name a few times down the road, you know, once once Raven came around, it took me a second to try and picture the it's weird, dude, pretty boy, like, frat boy that Raven, he started out as. Raven's like face is like a different shape than Scotty Flamingo's, but it's still Raven. It's like, oh, well, that's Raven. Do we need to talk about, what is Scotty Flamingo's gimmick? That he wears white and pink? He's a surfer. We, we he, already he, have one of those. He's basically stolen uh, Shane Douglas and uh, Johnny... Oh, he just doesn't skateboard? And, st- and Sting before them? I mean... Johnny Ace. Johnny Ace, yeah. I was like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, not... So the two lock up with no one gaining an advantage where they just start slapping each other. I and love the it. Slaps, the slaps, I was looking at Scotty as he was doing it, and there was just something about him, the way his look, the slaps, all of that stuff, and it was just a young Carlito. Yeah. Oh, nice. Just without the apple. Scotty with a takedown throws Bagwell to the outside, only to pop right back up and takes Flamingo down from behind. 
They go back to slapping each other. Heck yeah. Until Scotty attempts a back body drop, but Marcus floats over and delivers a big right hand. Multiple Irish whips, back suplex by Bagwell. Scotty fights back with a vertical suplex, but Marcus floats over and delivers one of his own for a two count. Back suplex by Flamingo after a missed clothesline from Bagwell. Scotty with a second rope falling fist, wearing down Marcus with chin locks and chokes. But Bagwell starts firing up, but Flamingo hits a crossbody that sends both men over the ropes to the floor. A real 360, as Cruel Monsoon would say. <laughs> Back in the ring, Scotty trying to faceplant Marcus, but is blocked and reversed. A hip toss and a clothesline by Bagwell. Several big right hands, a back elbow. Marcus comes off the second rope with a double axe handle and goes for a fisherman suplex for the pin. And uh, no, Scotty has his foot on the ropes. What? What an exciting way <laughs> to, kick, Scotty to, doesn't even to kick out of a... God damn it. <laughs> Bagwell thinks he has won, but the ref corrects him and hits an O'Connor roll only for Flamingo to kick out and counter with an O'Connor roll of his own for the pin and, and the win. Weird kind of finish. All that buff, got no brains. I can't believe that Scotty, close to the ropes, that Scotty Flamingo went over. This is our first Flamingo outing on pay-per-view. He's the new hot stuff. Is he? Bagwell was the new hot stuff like a week ago. Yeah, but Bagwell doesn't have... He, he's too happy, smiley, whatever. They, they haven't really given him an edge. So I don't he, know. He's kind of become the the hot new jobber. But Bagwell's better looking. I mean, I don't and have he's, a and he's, and he's, for and he's, it. And he's, and he's a, a, big, he's a bigger guy. But I mean, at the same time, like I want like Ricky Morton to win every match that he's ever in, and it's just not going to happen because he's just not a big guy or a body guy. Or a, so when I see like Bagwell, I'm like, well, he just has to win, right? But we're in WCW, and then that's kind of why it it's in, that's kind of why it's more interesting. Because they're in the wrestling business. We then see an ad for Beach Blast and a couple lines from it. Just when you thought it was safe to go back to the beach. A mega rager is totally beaching. Yeah, Yeah, the beaching thing. They do the Jaws, like the Jaws, a rip off of the Jaws theme. uh, For sure. You know what was really important to me in that last match? Was that I found out that the thing that I always wanted was going to happen later. Uh, the light heavyweight championship yes, match. Yes, Pillman versus Z-Man. Okay, I was Fucking, like, which thing are you? Oh my god, shoot me in the face. That's all I want. <laughs> I was uh, so I'll, pumped. I'm not going to shoot you in the face. No, I don't like do that. We then get JR and Jesse who preview our next match, and they show us video footage from Super Brawl, where Abdullah the Butcher attacked Ron Simmons, and Junkyard Dog came out of the crowd. Uh, that was the famous Cumberbunt and Blue Jeans. <laughs> <laughs> So our fourth match is Mr. Hughes and Cactus Jack versus Junkyard Dog and Ron Simmons. Wait a second. We just saw video footage of Abdullah the the Butcher. Butcher. Mm -hmm. But now we have Mr. Hughes? Uh, He's a big cat. Not quite as big as Abdullah the Butcher. The only thing I can assume is that Abdullah the Butcher is, is no longer Ju- under contract. Yeah, yes. or he just did some, did like, had a six month thing and is back in Japan bleeding all over small Japanese people. Yeah, with Stan the line, Hansen. You know, jab somebody in the eye with a fork or something. Mm-hmm. Who knows? So we, we see Cactus Jack 
he's coming down the ramp, then all of a sudden he stops, goes down some stairs, and yeah. back towards the locker room. So we've got the, the WCW big old tall rampway. But as Junkyard Dog is coming down the ramp, Jack reappears, attacking him, jumping off the ramp with a double axe handle, and the two men start brawling. Leave the dog alone. He's a tender man. Tender old man. Simmons oh, and the Hughes. The age of 38, probably. <laughs> Simmons and Hughes start going at it in the ring as Cactus Jack runs JYD into the ramp, and then an elbow drop off the ramp. Bang, bang! bang. Simmons then with a back body drop of Jack on the ramp. And Ron goes to check on Junkyard Dog. And the officials help the dog to the back. Oh, man. I know. Simmons comes running back out and jumps in the ring, hitting a double clothesline on Hughes and Cactus Jack. No one's real sure exactly what's happening. Yeah. But it seems like we're getting Ron Simmons versus Mr. Hughes. Which it should be Ron Simmons versus both of them. He should pin both of them on top of each other so Ron Simmons just gets over even harder. Because who gives a shit about... I mean, we all love Mick Foley, but who gives a shit about Cactus Jack here in 92? Yes. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> but also the, the fact that Mr. Hughes... That, that's the match that they decided on? And not just having Cactus, Cactus Jack, Jack and versus Ron, Ron Simmons. Simmons? Did we already see that? We saw it. Okay, that's why they didn't do it. They're like, I mean, okay. It is, we did just see it. Also, they needed they did the they needed to get the they wanted to give JYD a payday. He probably wasn't doing so hot at the time. So Ron's with the clothesline. Hughes goes for a hip toss, but is blocked and reversed by Simmons. And Hughes rolls to the outside to regroup. Back in the ring, Hughes with a clothesline, an elbow drop, body slam, knee drop. Irish whips Ron to the corner and charges in with a back elbow. Simmons comes off the ropes and hits a sunset flip for a two count. But Hughes continues to work over Ron, choking him on the ropes, where Cactus Jack gets involved as well. Simmons with a hip toss. Jack gets up on the apron to make a tag, but the ref doesn't allow it. Yeah, it's like the stipulation changes. Because now it's a singles match, guys. They're not going to give Cactus Jack a title. Just let Ron Simmons, the big badass, sure? pin him. I mean, not sure? right now. Not, not in 92. <laughs> sure. If he gets a title in 92, I'm going to be very upset. Sure. I'm going to be very upset. If he gets a title in 92, I'm going to be pretty pissed off. And I am, like, Mick Foley was my, like, Mankind was my favorite wrestler for, like, all of me watching wrestling. And uh, he needs to lose here. He needs to... He's not in this match anymore. (laughs) He should be, and Ron Simmons should hook them both. Hughes goes for a body guillotine, but Ron moves in time, crotching the bodyguard and followed by a Simmons clothesline. Ron's getting his momentum back with a back body drop and a spine buster. And Jack jumps in the ring, but Simmons hits a shoulder block to send him back out to the floor. Then hits a three-point stance tackle for the pin and, and the win. win. Wait, Post- so he hit the... I wonder... I'm trying to, I'm trying to picture... He how, literally just clips the knee and yeah. he just falls over. And yeah. Then falls, and well, I mean, he's done it before. And when he clips somebody's knee, if they can actually... If they're willing to bump, they'll just flip themselves. But it's Big Cat. If Big Cat did a somersault to sell for Ron Simmons, he wouldn't be Big Cat. He wouldn't be Mr. Hughes. We'd, we'd, we'd know. We'd know who he was. Yeah, yeah. He wouldn't be my favorite joke. Post-match, Cactus Jack's back in the ring, and Ron hits him with another shoulder block before leaving the ring. Did you guys know Ron Simmons played football? <laughs> yes. Did I'm you know Mr. Hughes played football, too? <sighs> 
We, I we, didn't know that one. Yeah, I don't know. That was I a new one for me. We got that info during but the match. But there's also the question of, did I care? No. I, I, do. I did like the comment that was made about Cactus Jack looking like an Oklahoma boy. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Jesse Ventura really going in on it. He had a mad shade for Oklahoma football and also threw some shade on Bill Watts, which I'm sure JR was probably like actually upset about. Cactus Jack, when he was screaming Simmons' name, I, you know, towards the beginning of the match, it was this high-pitched, oh, shrill yeah. Shrieking, yeah, I want that for like a ringtone. Oh, you want? <laughs> That's not what I expected. Yeah, You're just saying. because it was one of those things that like, it's, you can't not hear it. Yeah, you and can't not like, oh, hear it. It'll stand out in a crowd. And as Matt knows, I I go for you know the ringtones that will cut through all of the noise at work, mm. and I don't think there's any way. I could miss that. Plus, the guys at work would probably. What like, is it like that Rebecca Black song? Uh, right now, it's the uh, <laughs> the Old Spice whistle. Oh, just God. because it cuts through the sound of everything, and I've had that for uh, seven, eight years now. So anytime that goes off, regardless of where I am, what location, it's like it gets the attention of everybody that's working, and they turn around and look for me. So Tony and Eric are back on the stage, and they hope to get an injury update on JYD later on, but. I'm going to tell you right now that they don't ever. Did he die from deflated cakes? Yes. Grab that. Did he grab too many cakes? <laughs> and he died of di- di- uh, like a diabetes attack? I don't know. Like Maybe that's what happened. Is he a diabetic coma from g- grabbing cakes with both hands? <laughs> Double fisting cakes. <laughs> but as Tony and Eric are talking, you see Mr. Hughes in the background on the ropes flipping the crowd off. Yeah. The That's... big cat is pissed. And he's here to tell you about it. So then we go to our fifth match. Todd Champion versus the Super Invader with Harley Race. Fuck yes. This is the match I've been waiting for. <sighs> I mean, Ugh. who is this masked man that is so good that Harley Race is willing to get behind him? I mean, he's from Bangkok, so he must be Asian, right? Is he dangerous? Gotta be. But he's none other than Hercules. Hercules. In a Hercules. red stocking. Yeah, which with a rising sun bandana. Was and Hercules the power or the glory? He was I'd the say power. he's the power. Yeah. yeah. So Invader attacks as the bell rings, hits a clothesline, an elbow drop, a side slam, back suplex, a snapmare, and then locks on. The chin lock. There's wow. the Herc I know and love. Uh, yeah. Is this, he uh, got tired. Yeah. <laughs> what, could, this could, this honestly, these both these guys are pretty big. This could have just been a full Nelson match. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> Champion begins to fire up, but runs into a clothesline and is then thrown out of the ring to the floor. Invader comes off the apron with a single axe handle, hits a body slam on the floor. Why would anybody do a single axe handle when they have two arms? Back in the ring, Super Invader continues the attack with another body slam and goes to the top rope, coming off. But Champion gets a boot up into the chin. Todd, with multiple back elbows, goes for a third one when Invader sidesteps him and Champion flies into the ropes. Super Invader then hits a power bomb for the pin and, and the win. win. And when will... I can't wait for my next Super Invader match. Right? I mean, I'm sure there'll probably be one next week. 
You Are so? you more excited for your next Super Invader match mm-hmm. or the next Todd Champion match? I mean, I know I'm. it's like Sophie's choice right there. Yeah, I mean, I prefer somebody that I can see their face, but Todd Champion doesn't really have any personality, so it's kind of the same thing. Well, according to Coin Jesse, toss. Todd Champion looks like the captain of the love boat, and he knows that the Super Invader is not a handsome man. Definitely doesn't look like Gola. What was it, Gregory Peck? Or... <laughs> yeah. <It's> like, <laughs> what, but <sighs> Hercules is not a terrible-looking guy. Why'd they put a mask on him? He's not like... Because Hercules fell so flat that... It, it's mean, it's kind of sad. He fell so he flat wore, at WWF. He, tore, he wore a mask when he first broke into WCW as assassin number two. Oh, that's yeah. true. This would be really funny if he showed up as assassin number three, but it was a singles match. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a better gimmick. Then it's, <laughs> come on, Assassin number three is funny. We then get JR and Jesse talking war games, and Ventura tells us that he has something special planned for Beach Blast, and it has something to do with chest measurements. You think he's measuring nipple, areola, or just like as if he was fitting them for a suit? Ah. Who knows? Is there going to be some sort of like... I'll give you a hint. Pirate yeah. theme? It doesn't or... happen? You actually called it. Oh, what? Two weeks ago. What this would be. Am I going to have to listen to my own podcast to find out what this <laughs> is? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's supposed to happen in like 20 years when there's a podcast rewatch or re-listen podcast oh, yeah. going on. Mm-hmm. Or whatever they do in 20 years from yeah. now. But we'll find out next week what happens. I'm yeah, intrigued. when we have our, our COVID-23 uh, Zoom reunion. <laughs> So we're on to our sixth match. Richard Morton versus Big Josh. Morton's using his speed early on, but then decides to get into a shoving match, which Josh uses his power to gain the advantage. Yeah, With come a on, Ricky. hip toss, a body slam, and the log roll. It's just rude. Bum, bum, bum. Come, come. Matt, will you ever put over the log roll? No, I will not. Well, I mean, I, I, could be, I could put over a log roll, but in this kid, you know, situation here, it's... Teeny tiny little Richard Morton. It looks like it hurts. Yeah. Yeah, Throw on some cleats or something. That's all that's really missing. It's not a Finn Balor double stomp. Supposedly that's light as a feather. This this is. Well, I mean, that's. His name is Big Josh. His name's not Josh. That's 205 pounds compared to, what are they billing him as? 375 or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's at least least 340. (laughs) Richard with a running knee lift rips the flannel shirt off Josh, but the lumberjack comes back, keeping Morton in the corner. Before delivering a running forearm. Rips off Josh's flannel shirt. You're welcome, world. (laughs) Irish whip by Josh charges in, but Richard moves and hits a back suplex. An inverted atomic drop, a knee drop, and then slams the lumberjack's head into the turnbuckle. I really think we should have done an atomic drop count on this one. Yeah. It seems like there's been more than... It was a thing for me. More than a royal amount. When we did a suplex count on a WCW show, it'd be like 80. If you just counted things that are technically suplexes. <laughs> belly to bellies, belly to backs. Big Josh with the Irish whip, but Morton slides underneath him and goes for an O'Connor roll. But Josh holds onto the ropes and tries to retaliate with an elbow drop, only for Richard to move in time. Morton with a snapmare starts working the arm, but Josh escapes and is running the ropes. Richard looks to hit a monkey flip, only for the lumberjack to stop short and stop on Morton's head. <sighs> First a log He's just roll. a boy. <laughs> First a log roll, now a head stomp. Uh, yeah. I do love that Richard 
is using his speed, but and like trying to like work a limb or whatever. But he's a, he's the spider monkey, it, and against he all it, hopped up on Mountain Dew or what? <laughs> yeah, he's a spider mountain spider monkey on Mountain Dew uh, with a mullet versus Hercules, Hercules too. <laughs> Matt, what is it? Mass red. Super invader. Super invader. What's the other one? Oh, mass assassin. Ma- mass assassin. Assassin number two. Assassin number two. Yes, yeah, yeah. so he's assass- versus assassin number four. <laughs> <laughs> Big Josh with a body slam and elbow drop ducks his head, going for a back body drop, allowing Morton to regain the advantage by working on the arm once again. Richard tosses Josh and ducks his head, allowing the lumberjack to hit a belly to belly and a butterfly suplex. For a two count. Butterfly suplex was cool. Morton climbs to the second rope and comes off, but Josh catches him, delivering an inverted atomic drop, a double axe handle, and hits the northern exposure for, for the, the pin, pin and, and the win. win. This match is better than it is on paper. It's better to watch than it is on paper. You it's... see Ricky Morton versus Big Josh, you're like, nah, but you're like, well, if you watch this and it's six minutes long, you'll be you'll enjoy it. And see, I, I thought the opposite. My words here specifically say, meh, useless match. It is a useless match, <laughs> but I think that it's well worked enough for like what's going on here. Like It's just a spot filler, which is a shame, but I don't think it's a bad spot filler. Definitely a, an improvement from uh, the old super assassin number 12 and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or whatever yeah, he fought. Yeah. Tatanka versus Rick Martel, which was also wasn't bad. I think that this is better than that. Still, I, I have and to it go has my, big my same note of meh. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I just like I, I I love Ricky Morton. Give me five more minutes of what's coming later instead of making me sit through five minutes. Of oh, this. I mean yes, but I could watch this next match <laughs> all day. Tony and Eric preview that next match, and they go to <laughs> video footage of a Jim Ross interview with the Z Man and Pillman. Z-Man's complaining about Scotty Flamingo, saying he will put the title on the line anytime they want. And Pillman cuts in, whoa, <laughs> don't get ahead of yourself. It feels like Z-Man like, didn't know his promo, so he just like, like made something up. <laughs> I can see that being a possibility. <laughs> but like, yeah. Uh, also, these men are wearing incredible things. One's nice. like a bleached denim, like Pillman's in like a bleached denim button-up. It's like tucked in, and Z-Man has... Also, Z-Man, how is Z-Man light heavyweight? They didn't have the they didn't have weights, but like weight limits. On. Z-Man is huge. It's like you even know, Pillman's not like, small. They're not challenging for the big title, yeah. so yeah. let's have this title over here. It's, I like mean, how it's the same way with Johnny B. Bad. Why, why was Johnny B. Bad in a light heavyweight? Yeah, Johnny B. Match? Bad is has the best body in all of WCW. Yeah. It's like down the line, you know, years from this show when Samoa Joe is in the X division, he didn't match up as well with the same. Samoa Joe is everybody's favorite goblin. Brian says they are best friends, but Zink has no gratitude for the help that he has been giving him. So we get our seventh match. Z-Man versus Flying Brian Pillman for the WCW Light Heavyweight Championship. And this is where all my dreams come true. Hopefully. The two men shake hands, but Zink just kind of throws it away. Both men running the Back ropes. Off. They both go for drop kicks that they both miss. Yeah, they're tag team partners. They're light heavyweight badasses. They know each other. Again running the ropes and ducking each other's clotheslines until they come back with crossbodies on each other. 
Hey, did you guys know that Brian Pillman played football? I was wondering. He looked like one. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's kind of small for a football player, and he was a nose tackle, which is also what Ron Simmons Ron Simmons, did. yeah. Uh-huh. He played for the Bengals, and if you look at his shorts, it's like, some, you know. it's like some tiger shorts, some, some tiger stripes. Bengals. That's how much I knew about football. Bengals. Uh, yeah. It made me think, hearing the word makes me think of the, band. the musical act. Oh, Bengals. yeah, I mean, I, I, I prefer that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't know about the Bengals until I started watching until you WCW. Until you watched Egyptian? No, sorry, I, I, I gotta enunciate better. I knew about the Bengals, but the Bengals, yeah. the football team, yeah, I didn't know about them until I was introduced to Brian Pillman. Yeah, well, That's how I learned about football, y'all, mm. through wrestling. Because lots of wrestlers used to play ball, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Jim Ross lets us know that. Pillman leaps over a charging Z-Man, goes for a hip toss, only for Zink to reverse into one of his own, and begins to work on the arm. Flying Brian with a head scissors, a hip toss, a snapmare, locks on a head scissors on the mat, but Z-Man escapes by getting to the ropes. A backslide pin attempt, a small package, a sunset flip all by Zink, all for two counts. But then Pillman snaps the momentum. With, with a, a nasty chop. Nasty. <laughs> it's a nasty chop. Followed by working on Z-Man's leg. Flying Brian goes for a flipping senton, but Zink moves out of the way and starts to work on Pillman's back, delivering a vertical suplex, knee drops, a backbreaker, and goes for a pump splash, but Brian gets his knees up. Pillman goes back to work on Z-Man's leg, locking on a half crab, only for Zink to counter with an insiguri, and goes for a high knee into the corner, but Flying Brian moves out of the way. Did you flip for that flip senton? Or did you pop? I, we all flipped out. But like that flip senton, I was like, what? And then yes. him moving out of the way, like it's like, oh, what a bump. This is a match that only people that trust each other and our friends can have. And it shows. Pillman locks on the figure four, and the two men start slapping each other. But Z-Man gets it rolled over, and then they both grab for the ropes to release the hold. You want the title? Irish whipped into the corner. Zink back body drops Pillman out to the apron where Brian delivers a shoulder block and goes for a slingshot shoulder block as well. But Z-Man catches him, hitting a power slam for a near fall. Ugh, my gosh. Figure four slap fest. Outside of, like, bleeding on knees slap fest, like, figure four slap fest is, like, it's like one and two, and sometimes... They, like, if, if the somebody in the figure four is bleeding, then the figure four slap fest is better. Yes. <laughs> but, like... Outside of that, and you don't get into a figure four slap fest with a guy who is, you know, trained and inspired by Ric yeah. Flair. So. You don't, you don't do that, and also you don't. That doesn't happen in a non-title match. True, or it shouldn't. Flying Brian with a crucifix pin attempt for a two count sets Zink up on the top rope for a superplex, but Z-Man knocks him off and then leaps off with a crossbody for a near fall. Both men leapfrog into each other for a double KO, and Pillman's up first. But Zink with a faceplant for the two count. And the crowd is way into this. They should be. Because, yeah, like, should. At some point in this match, it's like everyone's standing before. Like these false finishes, like that crucifix pin, we've seen Brian Pillman win with a crucifix pin. So like we know that that could have been it. Yeah. And like we all assume Pillman's going over. Like in hindsight. But I 
Of course, I didn't look it up. I didn't even know until I watched this, turned the show on, this was happening because I've been talking about a Zink Pillman for a minute. <laughs> Z-Man goes for an elbow drop, but Flying Brian moves and grabs Zink to Tossie, but Z-Man's leg gives out. So Pillman heads up to the top rope, coming off with a crossbody, but Zink has been playing possum. Leaps up with a drop kick for the pin, and no, they're what? in the ropes. That, yeah. Brian Pillman sells so hard for Z-Man. Mm-hmm. It's fucking, like, it's just the most beautiful of friendships. It's like, he sells everything so well, and I believe this is the match with the boot heard around the world. Z-Man then goes up to the top for a missile drop kick, but Flying Brian sidesteps it, goes for a jackknife pin attempt, for the pin, and, and the, the win. win. Is this not the match with the boot heard around the world? I mean, it had one. Z-Man did a kind of a straight-up diesel yeah, it was chest like, kick. Yeah, that, where were, where, uh, Basically, he just like stood up and just threw his leg up in the air. And, and as Pillman was, was coming, coming off down. the top, right? Yeah, 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 that was the most... Like, it's like, big boot. Fuck you, Hulk Hogan, which is basically the name of this podcast. <laughs> but, like, yeah, that... Title change next week. ...was absolutely incredible. God damn it. We see another ad for Beach Blast. So we're off to our eighth match. Tatsumi Fujinami and Takayuki Izuka. Did I get that right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, in, they always call him Izuka in uh, like Japan, but you know it looks fine. But I know him as the man with the iron claw. Correct. I mean, I guess that makes sense because you've got Asuka that looks like her name should be Asuka, and then you've got Shinsuke. Shinsuke Nakamura. Who, Shinsuke. Yeah, yeah Shinsuke. Uh, Shinsuke. So yeah, I, I'm gonna guess that the. Uh, they say Izuka, but like yeah, I'm, I'm gonna guess it's. I just know Izuka because it's like oh, the guy with the shitty beard and the. Yeah. And they're facing off versus the Steiner brothers of Rick and Scott to determine the number one contender for the IWGP Tag Team Championship. Steiners are going back to Japan, and that's pretty cool with me. So last time we saw Izuka was Super Show One, which is episode fifty-five. And Fujinami was at Super Show 2, episode 65. We see Scott and Fujinami with stiff lockups. I want to, like, Steiners come out to a standing ovation. Because the Steiner brothers are uh, better than everybody. And they're, they've got their jackets back on, which I was, I feel like I haven't seen the jacket, the Michigan jackets in a minute. So that was cool. And of course, booze for our foreign friends. For now. Scott and Fujinami with stiff lockups, a hip toss by Tatsumi, an ankle lock, a fireman's carry by Scott, and Fujinami goes for a body slam, but Scott floats over and delivers a fallaway slam, and then follows with one on Izuka as well. Scott with a Steiner line on Tatsumi, but Takayuki comes in with a shoulder block, a body slam, a second rope elbow drop, and a top rope cannonball for a two count. I mean, that's how you start a match. Yes. Also, I talked about how Jesse and JR are getting better, more comfortable together, but uh, Jesse Ventura does some, like, throws some shade on Japanese vehicles and how they're, like, taking jobs away from, like, um, people like Ford and stuff or whatever. Yeah. And uh, JR just says, those editorial comments by Jesse the Body Ventura. <laughs> and I was like, JR, I'm like, like, for all your football shithousery, that you remind me of constantly, like, 
it was just like, oh, like, instead of, he normally he would just not say anything or be like, oh, well, that's how you see it. I was like, oh, like, this is beautiful. This is, this is comedy. And uh, it was nice to see JR do anything funny. Azuka rolls Scott over into a Boston Crab and then into a jackknife pen attempt. But Scott bridges up to counter with a tiger driver. Of course he does. Rick's in with a top rope elbow drop that starts making Takayuki's eyes swell up and his nose bleed. Oh, this poor guy got busted open the hard way early. Yeah. And you can see the pain in his face the whole rest of the match. Fujinami comes in and takes control with a side headlock, only for Rick to counter with a released German suplex and an elbow drop. Scott locks on the half crab, but Tatsubi makes the ropes to break the hold. Fujinami fights out of the corner, lifts Rick up onto his shoulders in an electric chair position, and Azuka comes off the top rope, but Steiner catches him and delivers a belly-to-belly suplex. Oh my god. Makes the cover, but Tatsumi breaks up the pin. And I know uh, we'll, we'll forever be at odds at this, but I'm a dog face man. I love both the Steiners, but I'm a dog face man when it comes down to it. I love Rick Steiner. I know. I just didn't like him talking to his, to his little puppet thing oh, back in the day. It's funny. <laughs> so JR says, I've never seen anything like that in my life. I haven't either. That was the first time I've ever seen anything like that, I think. Except for the fact that we saw it at Super Brawl. Oh my god. He did the same exact thing. <laughs> well, it's so nice you do it twice. <laughs> I wonder if that's what I have written on here that just says Rick Steiner catches Azuka in the air fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. Because <laughs> it was fucking awesome. I was like, wait, what? And then I went back and I was like, oh no, he like belly to back suplex him from an electric chair position. Holy crap. <laughs> Holy fucking crap. Scott with an elbow drop on Takayuki. Fujinami comes in to start working on Rick's leg, and Azuka comes back in to continue that leg work. Rick tries to roll him over into pins and finally escapes the hold and tags Scott in to hit a tilt-a-whirl slam for a two-count. It's kind of a sloppy tilt-a-whirl tool. Scott then locks on a double chicken wing, hits a belly-to-belly suplex. Rick slams Takayuki gut-first into the turnbuckle. And Scott then hits a pump handle slam for a two count. We need more pump handle slams in 2020, right? Yes. When was the last time you saw one? They've kind of faded out for a while. Yeah, it's like I, it's I'll it looks it, it looks absolutely incredible. But I mean, the Steiners for, fuck Brock Lesnar. The Steiners are Suplex City. Yes. It's like I wonder if Keith Lee does one. He should. I feel like he does. I'm not sure though. Yeah. Scott keeps going back to some amateur holds to wear down Azuka until Takayuki makes the blind tag, allowing Fujinami to come off the top rope with an axe handle to the back. Pier 6 brawl breaks out, but once order is restored, Tatsumi goes for an ab stretch, which he then turns into an Oklahoma roll for a two count. Fujinami staying on the attack until Scott with a knee lift to get away, and then Rick is backed into the Japanese corner for Takayuki to deliver some quick kicks. But Steiner picks him up with a double leg takedown and a belly-to-belly suplex. Scott with a snapmare to Azuka. Tatsumi comes in with a wrist lock and Takayuki joins him for a double team. But Steiner flips out and arm drags both men. Goes for a double clothesline, but they duck. Only for Rick to come off the top rope with a flying double <laughs> no, clothesline. This is funny because like they've been doing this like that flip spot 
for a little bit, and mm-hmm. this was like a little bit of a twist on all of it, where like you know he normally he might come o- come off with the double Steiner line or whatever, but like they ducked and and then you know his brother was there to back it up. Uh, it's it's a Steiner's match in '91 to. Hopefully it goes on forever, but I'm pretty sure it goes 91, 92, and maybe a little bit of 93. But this is like the best tag team run ever, right? Scott sets Azuka up on the top rope, but Fujinami comes in from behind to hit a back suplex. And then Takayuki hits a German suplex as well for a two count. A spike pile driver by the Japanese contingent on Scott. Come on. Azuka with a middle rope dropkick, and then Tatsumi locks on the dragon sleeper. But Steiner makes the ropes to break the hold. Spike Piledriver should have put anybody away, but the Steiners are like twice their size. Fujinami goes back to the sleeper, but Scott escapes by kicking him in the face and delivering a clothesline. Tatsumi is tossed to the ropes by Scott, and the two men collide for a double KO. We see Scott crawling to his corner for the... Hot tag! Rick delivers a Steiner line, an elbow drop, a belly-to-belly suplex for two on Azuka. Fujinami and Scott both jump in the ring and are brawling, while Rick sets Takayuki on the top rope. Rick then climbs up to hit a belly-to-belly superplex for the pin and and the win. win. There was one thing where, you know, the sleeper, the dragon sleeper hold? There's a spot, like, before they get out of that, where it looks like Fujinami is putting on uh, a skull end, but it lasts for like That's a half exactly a second. Like, it's like a half a second. It's like, oh no, don't do that. But of course it slipped right out of it. Towards the end there, Rick and Fujinami, the brawl that they had, it was just intense watching the two of them because, I mean, they had just, it was like modern day Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, when the two of them get in there and just start wailing on each other. And uh, Rick hits like a fucking beast. So, I mean, this match, like, when Azuka gets busted open at the oh, very yeah. beginning, it could have just taken the complete wind out of this match. No, he goes, he but you can, on. But you can see that the Steiners, they they do kind of do some different stuff because they don't really ever do any mat wrestling yeah. a lot. No. And they did some of that to give Azuka some time to kind of recover and get his senses back underneath him before yeah. they... Went towards the but I think that's one of the things that makes the match a little bit more interesting because these Japanese wrestlers are typically a little bit more well-rounded and they are going to do this stuff but they're also capable of doing the mat stuff and the Steiner's mat stuff isn't great but it looked more more like a fight you know what I mean as opposed to like you know you watch a catch wrestling match and it just feels like the Macarena sometimes because it's just like okay like, we know what to do. Yeah, I just yes, get ready I, to say that same thing. God damn it. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, I think that I'm glad he's not blind in one of his eyes. I'm glad, I'm glad he wasn't, like, like, super hurt, but I don't think it took away from the match because seeing him fight through that and knowing that it wasn't a blade job is, uh, is uh, commendable. We didn't get JR and Jesse previewing War Games. Tony and Eric also join in to continue that preview. As we see the cage lowered, we get Pyro off the top of the cage. Yeah, and I think they say something about Missy, but has Missy been on the show at all, or was she like just very beginning, like one segment? I want to say I remember her in like 
been on this. Is she not at all? I don't okay. think no, she's on this show at I don't, all. Maybe she's not. If she is, it's like for two seconds at the beginning. But it's like, where's Missy Hyde? I guess they already have. It's like Eric, Tony, Jesse. Jesse bumped Tony. So. Do we need anybody else other than Jesse? I mean, the answer's yes, Missy. You, we know we, everybody the birds after the match. Yeah, it's like, like, like I know I quick. saw her somewhere. Yeah, she had her hair pulled back and. I remember like a blue. I totally dress. forgot that she was there because I was just like, "Who the fuck is this woman with Jimmy Jim Garvin?" <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly. Yeah. I didn't know that it was Precious until yeah. until the woman was yeah. You saw Precious eight years ago. Oh, <laughs> squeezy, squeezy. Gary Michael Capetta then goes through the rules of War Games, which there are many. But here's the Cliff Notes version: <sighs> first period's five minutes, all others are two minutes. We get a coin flip to see who has the advantage. Each period, the opposite team sends someone in, and once everyone's in the ring, the match beyond begins. And surrender or submission is the only way to win. How hard was that, guys? Because it takes three minutes for them to tell us the rules on this show. I That's mean, just because Gary Michael Capetta has like, to get on there and drag everything out as long as he can. The, uh, I think we've had war games... <laughs> We've had War Games rules that where there was like nine of them. There was nine of them here. Oh, was there? Yes. This one maybe felt faster, or maybe I just zoned it out because I didn't have to pay attention anymore because I've been here. <laughs> but speaking of nines, the ninth match of the evening, the dangerous alliance of ravishing Rick Rude, stunning Steve Austin, the cruncher Larry Zabisco, the enforcer Aaron Anderson, and beautiful Bobby with Polly Dangerously and Medusa. Hell yeah. Versus Sting Squadron of Sting, Nikita Koloff, Barry Windham, The Natural Dustin Rhodes, and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat in a War Games match. Which, uh, what were the rules for that again? Uh, you already heard. Nine I'm not repeating. There's nine of them. So the story behind this match was that Sting had been discussing potential challengers during a press conference when the Dangerous Alliance would interrupt... Rick Rude would throw a drink into his face, only for Nikita Koloff to make his return by coming to Sting's rescue. Wyndham, Rhodes, and Steamboat all had issues with the Alliance as well, so they teamed up for this deadly match. Face is gonna face, heels gonna heal. And everybody wins. So the last time we saw Nikita Koloff was at Great American Bash 1991, all the way back in episode 57. That was the strap match? That was the Russian strap ma- chain match yeah. versus Sting. Yeah. But this match gets going with Wyndham and Austin starting us off hot with Barry laying it in until stunning Steve tries to throw Wyndham into the cage, but Barry puts the brakes on in time. I do love that you they do the shots of like Polly and like Medusa like basically call like be like, All right, this is our, this is our game plan or whatever. Yeah. And Polly is definitely selling it, it's really fun. Wyndham with a body slam, goes for an elbow drop, but Austin moves, so Barry tries for a pile driver, only for stunning Steve to counter with a back body drop and then hit an elbow drop. Austin's thrown to the other ring, and Wyndham tries to throw Steve into the cage, but Austin is able to block, so Barry hits a DDT and wants to use the cage as a cheese grater, but is blocked. Stunning Steve clotheslines Wyndham and then hits a flying clothesline to take them back over to the other ring. Austin tries to swing off the cage with a kick, but Wyndham avoids it and brings Steve down very awkwardly face first. 
finally is able to throw him into the cage multiple times. And, and what we, do we have? And we finally get the cheese grater. And to we bust finally him get open. the juice two minutes in. We got a bleeder. If there's a cage, there better be juice. Uh, I did like that, Steve, when people use the top of the cage. Using the top of the cage, you got to do it quick. Yep. So five minutes is up, and we get the coin tossed. That isn't rigged at all, mm-hmm. as the Alliance win it. And Ravishing Rick Rude comes in to attack Wyndham from behind, getting in a flurry of offense with knee lifts, forearms across the back, shoulder blocks, and goes to throw him into the cage. But again, Barry blocks. Only for Austin to attack from behind, hitting a flying clothesline before throwing him into the cage. Two minutes is up. And Rude is busted. Oh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Two minutes is up, and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat comes in. Ricky immediately throws Stunning Steve into the cage, followed by Rude. DDT on both Alliance members. Hell yeah. Multiple head slams of the Ravishing One into the turnbuckle. Austin then Irish whips Steamboat, who leaps up and over a rolling Stunning Steve. Uses the cage to swing out with a kick on Austin, and then a hurricanrana on route. This is what you get, man. The uh, what? What's with the tape on Steamboat's nose? We didn't talk about that, I don't think. I'm not sure. Is that a storyline that they just didn't talk about? Uh, I mean, I'm I imagine he's nose. Sure, he probably broke. just got his nose busted open. Yes, he goes on and on and on about the tape on Barry's hand, hand. but nothing yeah. about the the tape on Steamboat's nose. That's where all the blades are. Truth. No, there's a blade. There's a. There's a spot later where you can see somebody put a blade away. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure we all caught that. (laughs) Wyndham slamming Steve's head into the turnbuckle before throwing him into the opposite ring. Another two minutes is up, and the enforcer, Arn Anderson, is in. Double A with the DDT to bury a spine buster on the dragon. And just like that, the Alliance is back in control. Arn locks on a Boston Crab. The Ravishing One joins him for a double-team crab. Yeah, why not? Wyndham, crabs. Wyndham makes the save, but is then overwhelmed by the Alliance. My favorite thing about War Games matches is when somebody comes in because they all just come in so hot. So it's yeah. like, oh, it's a hot tag. You get a bunch of hot tags in mm-hmm. pretty rapid succession. And, like, Arn Anderson comes in here like a fucking scalpel. Oh, he's, yeah. like, comes in like, yeah, like... Like he's like he's you know doing surgery on cocaine. He's like, all right, I know what I'm doing here, and I'm going to take you all take you all down. Like I'm dividing by zero real quick until you know until I have to sell for you. Yeah, each new each new entry, it just seems like it takes it up another level and another level yeah. and another level to where I mean I've just written down total mayhem, total intensity, fucking love it. Rude hits a pile driver on Ricky, then throws him through the ropes to the opposite ring. The Ravishing One follows over and tosses Steamboat to the ropes and misses a clothesline. Then the two clothesline each other for a double KO. Another two minutes is up, and the natural Dustin Rhodes is in. Rhodes is tossed to the corner, and Anderson charges into a big boot, followed by a bionic elbow, an inverted atomic drop, and a clothesline on Austin. The Dragon has a Boston Crab on Rude. Wyndham with a clothesline to double A. Dustin with an Irish whip of Stunning Steve, who leaps up to the second rope, only for the natural to set him on his shoulders to hit an electric chair drop. Hell yeah. I, I love Dustin so much. He's so good. He's so good. Barry has Arn's head stuck between the two rings. Oh, this is pretty that funny. That was fucking incredible. <laughs> so funny. And just like, Arn is, like, his selling is so good, but it's like, always like right on the edge of it's like too much or goofy and 
it's funny because like his offensive work, there is no comedy. <laughs> so it's just yeah, that's. I had to rewind this part just because I had to make sure I was seeing what I was actually seeing. Because when you've got Barry standing there holding somebody upside down that appears to have no head, it kind of stands yeah. out to you. Like, what the hell is that? And then, happening? yeah, Arn falls on his, like, stomach and has his head in between the mat and, like, <laughs> does, like, a jump. Like, a, yeah, like a little convulsion. Ricky has a figure four locked on the Ravishing One. Two minutes is up, and the cruncher, Larry Zabisco, is in. Rhodes meets him at the door to start brawling. Medusa starts climbing to the top of the cage with Paul E.'s phone, which she then drops down into the cage for Anderson. Sting then climbs up to the top to love it. tell her to get down. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was like, he's not going to suplex Medusa up here. I mean, Medusa can take it. She's a badass. Uh, but I was, like, I was like, hell yeah, Medusa. This rules. I was all about her climbing the cage and dropping the phone in there. It's so fun. Double A ends up using the phone across the face of Steamboat. Zabisco throws Dustin into the cage. Arn throws Barry into the cage. And Rude locks on a sleeper on the dragon. Two minutes is up and Sting is in. Face plant on Anderson. Jawbreaker and multiple presses of the Ravishing One into the top of the cage. Throws Arn into the cage. Hits a back body drop of Austin into the cage. Cheese grater time on Double A to bust him open. Oh, and this is our wide shot of where you can see Arn Anderson cut open, facing the camera, sitting like an infant, <laughs> like with his legs out, and you can see him put the blade back in his uh, in his <laughs> trunks, and it's amazing. Total fucking annihilation going yeah. on. Medusa's taping up Eaton's hand, and Ricky then throws Rude to the other ring, stunning Steve with a flying shoulder tackle on Rhodes. The dragon now has the Ravishing One's head stuck between the two rings as well. And then he and Sting with a wishbone on Rude. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Zabisco throws Dustin into the cage, and two minutes is up, and beautiful Bobby Eaton is in. So does that mean... Oh no, there's still more people to yeah, come in. There's still more oh, people. Oh my gosh. Zabisco is doing something to the turnbuckle as Bobby enters, and the busted open natural with a big boot on Austin. Steamboat hits an enziguri on Anderson. Eaton then throws Wyndham into the cage. Everyone's just brawling all over the yeah, place. Yeah, this is kind of where things like start to take a dive when there's yeah. too many people in there, and it's like, well, you nobody gets can get eliminated. So, uh, like, war games matches start so hot, and then they kind of it's kind the of like, what do I look of, like? Kind of yeah. dies down a bit because they're just basically then waiting. Yeah, for the what last do I kind of look in. at? Like, what do I need to do in between like the finish? Yeah, Eaton's entry into the the match was definitely a much quieter than all of the ones yeah. previous. But I mean, that's why it was Bobby Eaton. It's like, well, I love Bobby Eaton, but he doesn't look like Sting or Steamboat. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just don't know if I would have saved him as the last, just because I of... would have put him in first. Yeah, the... yeah, because you know he can still do all the things that like Austin uh, would do, like Austin and Eaton. Oh yeah, I guess yeah, I guess Eaton's not a heel here. Yeah, he is. yeah, they're on the oh, same team. Oh yeah, okay. He's part of the Dangerous Alliance. Barry Windham is not the first guy you put. But then in. again, you want to have that person in there to to start it off hot. And unfortunately, I mean, I love beautiful Bobby, but he just doesn't have that same tenacity. intensity and tenacity yeah. that the others that Austin has, especially. Yeah. We see Double A working over Sting, and another two minutes is up, and Nikita Koloff is in, 
and the match beyond begins. War games. Submit or surrender. Wasn't well, that mean the same thing? Basically. <laughs> okay, cool. Nikita immediately saves Sting from Arn's attack, throwing double A into the cage. What if as soon as they were like, War Games begins, like one of the teams is like, just like, white flag. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, I guess they well, I think they were worried about that with uh, Nikita, because they kept questioning where his alliances were. Where his alliances were going to be, yeah. because him and Sting have always had issues. I mean, the last time we saw Nikita, yeah. he was in a Russian chain match with Sting, so... Are they really friends here or, you know? But Nikita helps Sting to his feet to show his loyalty. Pushes Sting out of the way as an oncoming double clothesline from the Alliance hits him. Oh, man. Koloff and Sting then with stereo clotheslines on the Enforcer and Stunning Steve. And then high-five each other. And hug! They hug. Which brings the crowd to life. Oh, my gosh, yeah. There's a huge pop. It's like Sting... If you could, if you told anybody that Sting and Nikita Koloff hugged and and popped six thousand people like that, <laughs> they'd be like, Nikita who? <laughs> and I'd say, Nikita who? But yeah, it was good. Koloff, motherfucker. Yeah. Wyndham and Rhodes are working on the cruncher. Stinger splash on Arn locks on the Scorpion Deathlock, but beautiful Bobby makes the save. And is this, the ropes are down now because yeah. Bobby Eaton keeps diddling with they've the kind of loosened, the They've ropes. kind of loosened up because Eaton starts working on that turnbuckle again as the natural locks on a figure Which four. is weird. Even Jesse won't put it over. He's like, what is he doing? <laughs> onto Zabisco. Anderson then comes off a second rope onto Sting. Nikita with head slams of Austin into turnbuckles. Dustin with a body slam of Stunning Steve goes for a second rope elbow drop only to miss when Austin moves. Steamboat has Rude in a sleeper. Zabisco finally, they, I guess they finally got the turnbuckle disconnected yeah. from yeah, the, yeah. the ring post. Ring is fucking destroyed by this point. And he's got like the post type of thing. It's like the, the metal, the steel that holds it. Zabisco picks up the turnbuckle connector yeah. in his hands. Because like, it's actually, I, is it technically the turnbuckle? Because we always say turnbuckle, but it's the pad well, in front of the turnbuckle. Yeah, right? the turnbuckle, basically the corner, but this is actually the bar that connects it to, yeah, to yeah. the ring post, yeah. Zabisco goes to hit the stinger with it, and Sting's being held by beautiful Bobby, mm-hmm. and as he swings, Sting moves, so he ends up hitting Bobby in the arm with Oh it. my god. Stinger, like, throws the cruncher away, and then locks on an arm bar, arm bar. on Eaton for the submission, and, and the, the win. win. I see what they were trying to do, but how are you going to pop for that? Mm-hmm. Post-match, the Alliance are arguing between each other, start yelling at the Cruncher for hitting the wrong man. We even see Dangerously starting to sneak up behind Larry to hit him with his phone. Oh, yeah. Zabisco turns in time to force Paul E to back off. And Larry <laughs> keeps saying, I didn't know. And it's like, what do you mean? You mean I missed? Or, like, he pushed him out of the way? But saying I didn't know means nothing. No. It doesn't even, like, make sense in the context of what happened. But he keeps saying, I didn't know. And they're, like, all just kind of, like, like sussing each other out. It's really kind of weird. Larry's doing a good job, but that line, I didn't know, kind of breaks the whole thing. Tony and Eric then recap what we just saw and, and the evening. JR and Jesse do the same before saying their goodbyes. The Ventura makes sure to let us know about those tremendous... 
chest measurements. Oh yeah, we go to we we see Tony and they sh- they swing to Tony and Eric for a second, and Tony Shivani says, "I don't know what to add to this." <laughs> it's like, all right, Tony, what are you getting paid for? And like Eric says a little bit of a little bit of something, and then throws it back. But like Tony was like, "I don't know what I could possibly add to this." And it's like, dude, come on, <laughs> like, yeah, like say something about use the word carnage, put something. over the blood, because like. Even we had some blood on the last WWF show, WrestleMania 8, and Gorilla is, like, not into putting over the blood. He he does it, like, one time in the, at least in the first match. I think he finally recognizes it, and then the second match was too hype for me to even notice. The second match with blood, anyway. But uh, here, it's like, this this is WCW. You put over all the blood you can. Then the credits roll... So, Michael, what are your overall thoughts of Wrestle War 92? I think it'll be really funny if we get to Beach Bash. It's Beach Bash, right? Yeah. Uh, And Jesse's not there, so he put over titties. (laughs) (laughs) Like, five times. Is that what he's talking about? In a couple hours. I mean, I don't know, maybe he's a cheek man, I'm not sure. Cakes? Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. (laughs) He's not a fan of deflated cakes, but... That, that if he wasn't on the show, that'd be I think that would be very funny. What do I think about the show? That is what the question was. It's a, it's a good show. Solid show. But we all know what we're here for, right? We're here for... War Games. No, we're not here for War... Nobody's here for... I mean, the crowd is here for War Games, and I think that this crowd deserves uh, a round of applause because they were very good. You're, but, you're right. It, big Josh and Richard Morton. Honestly, I didn't hate it. But... Pillman, Zinc, Steiners, Fujinami, Izuka. Like, that's the show. That's a pretty good part of the show. That's yeah. that's kind of the show for me. And then the Freebirds match at the beginning versus Terry Taylor, or the Taylor-made man, and Greg Tinyface Valentine. But it went a little bit long. It was like 16 minutes, which is a little long for an opening tag match. But Pillman, Zinc, I need a trilogy. I need it end in a cage. <laughs> the strap match? No, no, they're a, <laughs> they're light heavyweights. No strap. How about you, Shane? Of you know, I've watched several several war games over the years, and this one always stands out as the shining star. You know, for a show called Wrestle War and a headlining match called War Games, they took <laughs> the war to the extreme and actually made it happen. You know, we've watched ones in the past that were good, but they just didn't beat the shit out of each other the way that you would yeah. locked into a cage with people that you supposedly hate. And no. this one, they I, did up until the very end when it just kind of went. I think this is one of the better War Games matches we've watched. Yeah. But I think my favorite is the Pillman one because it had a stronger angle and he came in and really overperformed. And I think that outside of that, this is probably the second best one. Some of those later 80s ones were... Fun, but they're not nearly as like in-ring intelligent yeah. as this. This one had the potential to be phenomenal, and then that ending just kind of yeah. And I don't even remember yeah. the ending of my favorite War Games, which is the that Pillman one. Yeah, when you go which through, I don't Pillman remember. takes two power bombs from Sid and is knocked out, so the ref stops stops it. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's See, way that's, better than this ending. That's, that's a good ass ending. You've got, <laughs> you've got all this carnage happening throughout this entire match, and people bleeding, getting smashed, having their heads stuck between two rings, and yeah. then you have the match end because of an armbar. Armbar. 
Yeah, so it was Arm it's like, it's like, it's like actually put like a like an okay. actual like Fujiwara harm bar or a or some kind of you know submission move, not just a fucking like let me lock this arm arm wrist lock I have a on. thought he accidentally like, hits Bobby in the arm with, which causes with, the no, issue no no he accidentally hits Bobby in the arm with the with the the bar because it's like yeah. over a foot long and then you use that to crank in an arm bar come on you are using the like the like piece of steel that you I just mean, hit his arm with. Literally and, anything could have made more yeah. sense. Yeah, but like you use the, the you bar. use the steel bar as the arm bar, and it's just like, oh my god, yeah. like that's yeah. that's pretty good. Throw and then off over there also, and have him do that because they don't want to have Sting appear to yeah. be this vicious. Even psychopath. even Sting, it's like he's got to win. Like they, it Go is a blood suit. It's in a cage, so it's okay. Yeah. And he didn't hit him in the arm, but you got to take advantage. And if it's not him, it's you. But and then have Bobby at least. At least, fucking, yell into the camera for a second. Give me, give me one of those uh, Dutch angles of him like yelling while you have a bar, like you're doing an arm bar with an assisted steel bar, and I think that that would probably yeah. take this like this dud ending to be like, oh man, like that's brutal because the ending's not. I know they thought it was gonna be brutal because they hit him in the arm with a piece of steel, but. Like four guys bled all over the, the camera angles on the on the like the literally the last fifteen seconds of this match, like were horrible. Yeah, not good. So I'd almost put the finish on this match. The problem is production more than the wrestlers themselves. Yeah, but I think Bobby uh, submitted too fast. Yes, for everything that they've been but doing the over the right last there. year to build Just him up as a singles the seal? cranking the steel across yeah. his arm. I'm sure there's a way to do that. They could have practiced an arm bar with a fucking pull and been like okay this looks yeah. good i mean hell if anything if that's the the ending that they want to go for then have it look like zabisco hit him as fucking hard as he could and have him react to the point that you think his arm is broken and then yeah but yeah, overall but instead this is... it's just a, a bump and a pull and i'm tapping out yeah it was a little quick and i want more for bobby but i mean come on bobby you yeah. should probably have got into vince's refrigerator so last week at wrestlemania 8 we had a show that started off really hot mm-hmm. and kind of went downhill over the last hour or so. Yeah, four four out of nine was my my uh, match score. This show to me is the complete opposite. It's not a super hot start. Nothing. The first half is just kind of whatever, mm-hmm. but there's nothing bad no. on that first half of the no. show. Just like last week, there was nothing bad in the last half of the show. It just wasn't up to the same level as the first half. I'll give this one a five, but with but the not as not the highs as as far as matches that were. Definitely. What is that? Five out of a five out of ten, but they don't reach the highs that the other one did. But I do feel the last three matches of the show are must watch yes. matches. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'd never really watched Izuka and Fujinama, but. Mm-hmm. They were, I mean, I, I made a reference to them just by what they wore to the ring and referred to them as the Japanese uh, pink and black attack, you know, <laughs> a new style heart foundation. And the two of them, you know, having never watched them before, the way that they meshed with the Steiners, that was just fucking yeah. incredible. I mean, and they've, like, they've had in-ring time with at least Fujinama at this point. Yeah, Fujinami had we've wrestled seen, Flair a couple times. We've seen Izuka before, but, like, the Steiners probably, I mean, the Steiners also... Have wrestled in Japan yeah. enough to know what they're like, what do. Yeah, absolutely. 
It's like, yeah, they're like, they can't do math, but you know, they know what wrestling is. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right, fuck you. I think it's time we smart it up. So some of the best moments of the evening. I'm a huge fan of Medusa going full badass, kicks the heels off, crawls up to the top of the cage, drops the phone in. Because Medusa's just so cool. She's just fucking awesome. And it sucks that there's not really any kind of women's division here. Because we all know that she can work. Mm-hmm. And we've all seen some of those Alundra Blaze matches. Like Alundra Blaze versus Volnacano. It's fucking great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's awesome. And it's a shame that there's nowhere for her to fit in. And she has to just like climb the cage. She's kind of our Sherry of the WCW. Where it's like, Sherry can work. It would be amazing if we could get a Sherry under Blaze match. It like basically at this point in time, granted, Sherry's a little bit older than her, but like they both can work and are are badass chicks. Am I wrong? Wasn't she trained by Sherry? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. she was probably trained by Sherry, I'd yeah, imagine. Because I'm I'm trying to think back to when she got inducted into the Hall of Fame. I remember her mentioning Sherry several times over, but I couldn't remember if it was just they were friends or if she actually was trained and, and or mentored by her. You know she's a monster truck driver now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Her politics probably suck, but... <laughs> <laughs> Any other best moments? Um, of course, plenty, but yeah, uh, that, was, that was my low light. I mean, the the surprise of seeing... I, I'm, I'm going to throw Hammer out there, because it just... For some reason, seeing him in a match in WCW, it made me happy, because he actually looked like he belonged. And yeah. it made me appreciate him more. Matt and I have always been like we like Valentine. He's just in the wrong place. Yeah, absolutely. It's like yeah, he's he like Valentine. If if Valentine, I mean, I know some people think that it's a bad thing to say, but he's a good hand. He is. He is. I don't ever see that as a. I don't see it as a bad thing. I mean, I know some people do, but but like okay, in a Great American Bash tour from like the late Mm eighties, like you would have a Flair valentine title match because they did a title match like every night that would have been fucking awesome but you're not going to get a valentine flair trilogy not that it wouldn't be good but valentine is just not the guy you're going to get a trilogy out of no No. he just doesn't have he doesn't have the like energy or the persona he is legitimately like just like you said your solid hand the the pillman Z-Man match, it gave me what I was wanting, kind of, sort of, at Mania, when I didn't get the breakup of the Rockers. You know, yeah, you had these, these actually, two guys that could work and know each other's style inside and out mm-hmm. that you know, went out there and just put on a clinic, so to speak. Yeah, but the difference for the WWF would have been that Shawn Michaels would have been the sexy boy now, and it would have been, and he would have had Sherry with him. Oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that never happened. That's so crazy. <laughs> but Pillman and Zink considering that the angle is thin like they have those spots there's it happens like three times they're all perfectly timed out like throughout the match of them knowing each other's moves Mm -hmm. and yeah it's it's hard to say it's my favorite match because right after it is the steiners and it's like well tied for first i guess yeah because they're two completely different kinds of wrestling matches and see that's a dis i mean the the disappointing thing not to keep talking about WWF on this one, but oh, we're gonna do it. You didn't get the you didn't get the the payoff for Shawn Michaels and and Marty Jannetty for a good nine months or so after their fallout, or hell, close to a year, because I think that's how long it took for 
Janetti to come back. But by then... It was just like... Yeah, it was too little, too late. They had already moved on. You know, Sean had already started establishing himself as a singles superstar, so it wasn't the the awesomeness it could have been. Whereas this one, you had two good friends who had a, a misunderstanding and, and had a, a hell of a yeah. match. The misunderstanding was not nearly as... Um... Yeah, there was, there it was, was brutal. It was kind of like it, it, it was kind of like hey turn guys, either one of them into a heel. Yeah, basically. No. yeah, yeah. Nobody but, was thrown through a, a plate glass window yeah. or anything like that. But yeah, I'd say of the, those last three matches, it's it's hard to pick which one I loved the most because they each had special things that called out to me and made me appreciate the people that were in them that much more up until the end of the last one. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to end a War Games match. Because I would Come say on. that might be the most disappointing moment mm-hmm. of this show. Because, because everything else is everything just kind else of fine. so good. It's either fine or it's fast enough to where it's like, okay, well, whatever. You didn't, it wasn't Beverly's, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't a 20 minute tag match. It's like you're on that last turn of the, the final lap of the race and then you run out of gas. Yeah. But that's, that's War Games. Any other disappointing <laughs> moments on this show? I mean, I would have liked to see my JYD get on all fours and headbutt somebody, but... Obviously, the you know he was trying to put he was helping put Ron over, and also I mean I don't know what physical shape he was in. I've definitely seen him look worse yeah. physically, but it is what it is. I will say, is surprising. I thought that the Big Josh Ricky Morton match was pretty good. I think that I it mean, was good. I liked like it. I, really, I just don't give a shit about Big Josh, but I think the match was good. Like I just said, I don't think there's any match on this show. That is just like outright like garbage. No, I w- I agree. the The schmozziest one is the Ron Simmons, exactly. One. And that one's just kind of like, well, okay. I wish Ron Simmons could have got a little bit more smoke from this. I, I but feel like a lot of okay. the show is just kind of like right there in the middle. Yeah, there is. There's highs. Like, I, I I don't know if I even said a best moment just because I was like looking through this and I'm just like I don't yeah I don't think there was there's not a whole lot of just moments that just like stick out on the show like yeah. this is awesome but there's nothing on this show that just goes honestly this is garbage I would say either. that like this Wrestle War ninety two and WrestleMania eight are both like all right well it's Saturday I woke up early it's seventy degrees outside I'm gonna open the windows. Spring cleaning, and you just turn on the network, and you start one of these shows, and you just start cleaning stuff, and you walk by, and you're like, okay, I need to stop for five minutes to watch Flair or whatever, and you're just like, it's just on, and it's an enjoyable thing. Yeah. Like, because all the in-between matches are whatever, but you know which ones are good, and you're just, it's like, it's, it feels like a, both these shows are very rewatchable in a casual way. I don't know, my favorite or best moment, I still think the, the part that keeps replaying in my head is just watching Barry Wyndham hold Arn Anderson upside down with his head stuck okay. between rings. I lied. That is the best <laughs> moment of the entire show. Well, I know this is not actually uh, in a wrestling match, but my boy Z-Man selling the pyro. <laughs> I reminded it like five times. I was like, oh, I love you. It's just a beautiful moment. I mean, we you, kind of, you guys already talked about best performer a little bit. You it's can't hard. really decide between... I mean, Pillman and Zink, two Zink like, who are you? three the, matches, even. If you can say, like, I think Pillman did a better job. Like, Pillman sold more for Zink because he knew he was going over. I have to... Oh, I mean, I almost want to give it to Azuka just because yeah. of the fact that he got hurt. And, 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 and I was still trying to decide continued. which of those two that... And also, any show with the Steiners at this point in time, like, you could give it to either Steiner brother exactly. and you wouldn't be wrong. Exactly. How about most surprising? 
Super Invader, right, guys? Of course. Yeah, Har- Harley Race came down to do like nothing. I don't. Harley Race didn't take a bump because I remember complaining about him taking bumps recently and be like, oh, don't throw that man on his back. <laughs> I mean, we got the debut of Scotty Flamingo. Oh, most surprising. Okay, honestly. Most surprising is Scotty Flamingo. I'm like, who the hell is that? And then he gets into the ring, and I'm like, oh, that's Raven. So, like, that was the most surprising. I was like, that's Raven. I, I, I know that's, that's Raven. And then I Googled Scotty Flamingo immediately, and I was like, oh, like, I knew I was right, but I had to make sure I was right. So I think that's even more surprising than Nikita showing back up. Yeah. Like, Nikita's Nikita gonna, showing up is, people like... People show back up all the time. Yeah. yeah. If, if Warrior showing up is a, like, eight, then Nikita showing up is, like... A fucking three, three or four, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like, and I'm not even a warrior fan, but just in the grand scheme of like name recognition uh, at this exactly. point in time, and like people being excited about it at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I I, love, I like Nikita. I freaked out the time that I saw Nikita Koloff standing behind me at a gas station and bumped into him. Yeah, you know, again, 12, 13 years old, and there's this big dude that you've been watching on TV kick Lex Luger and Sting's ass all over the place. But him showing back up at a pay-per-view just didn't have that same effect on me the next year. Yeah, it is, it's also kind of, the, kind of the Steamboat effect where like Steamboat shows up and we love him and then he disappears and then he shows up and we love him. But Nikita does that even, even like less frequently shows back up. And he was a bigger deal yeah, in the mid to late 80s. So it's like, well, in 92, like, shit's going on, man. Sting, Sting uh, is the champion. Ric Flair's at WWF. Like Nikita Koloff, you kind of missed the fucking boat. And now for a look back even farther into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. Dusty Rhodes had held the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship for 88 days, leading up to September 17th, 1981. He would make his way to Kansas City to face a new challenger, Ric Flair. The Nature Boy would win the title that night to start his first reign as champion. Ric Flair, born 1949 in Memphis, Tennessee, was adopted to a doctor and journalist. The family would move to Minnesota for his childhood, and in 1971, Flair would tend a Vern Gagne wrestling camp that also included names such as Greg Gagne, <laughs> Jim Brunzel, Iron Sheik, and Ken Patera. He would make his debut in 1972 and work in the AWA for a couple of years. After that, Ric Flair would make his way to the Mid-Atlantic region, working for Jim Crockett Productions in 1974. His career, though, was nearly ended when he was in a serious plane crash, breaking his back in three places. He was told he would never wrestle again. Flair would make his comeback eight months later and win the NWA United States heavyweight belt five times over the next three years. He would reach elite status when Flair would beat the original nature boy, Buddy Rogers, in a match. After defeating Dusty Rhodes for the title, Flair would hold the world championship more than anyone else ever had and would be inducted into the NWA, Professional Wrestling, Wrestling Observer Newsletter, and twice into the WWE, once as an individual and once as a member of the Four Horsemen Hall of Fames. Ric Flair's title win would start a run of almost two years as champ, but a stubborn former champion would challenge before the modern era of wrestling would start. Fun fact about Ric Flair, 
it's in his will that when he dies, you have to sprinkle his ashes over Space Mountain. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Next week, Beach Blast 1992. Bring your... Beach towel? Yeah, bring, definitely, bring, definitely those things. Definitely those. Maybe some sandwiches, a cooler, uh, beverages, water. Beach ball. Mm-hmm. Tremendous yeah, chest but measurements. Also, don't forget, yeah, <laughs> your titty tape, your titty measuring tape. It's going to be beaching, man. <laughs> Mega rage. I was thinking. Totally beaching. <laughs> so the music from this week's show is the theme from Wrestle War and Turbo Charge. Bah! That's your favorite thing to do. It's all, I mean, it's that and Warrior. We just had Warrior show up, and then Sting, and like, I mean, Super Invader. Mm, Yeah, he probably used the same song. (laughs) You're like, oh, we'll just pipe it in. If you like this show or any of our other ones, please go out there and rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. You can always email us at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com with any comments, concerns, questions. Or you can always find us on Twitter at Wrestling History X. That's Wrestling H I S T O X. You should tweet us. Tell me what I should bring to the next show from uh, last. Where's Beat Class? Mobile, Alabama. Oh. Ooh. So we're going to get some southern Southern food. Something with peaches. We'll talk to you next week. Laters.